0: Hello, and thank you for joining us on It Is Written Canada. Today we will be looking at the current world hunger crisis and share with you some statistics on what's actually happening on the ground because this is one of the worst hunger crises the world has ever seen.
1: Fears of a global food crisis are growing and it's getting worse. Close to one billion people regularly go to bed hungry and one expert told us that soon these people will be living on one meal a week.
0: We're going to be focusing on one specific region known as the Turkana County in the country of Kenya which has an estimated population of 1.4 million people.
1: Droughts in Turkana in recorded history started in 1952 and would reoccur once every 10 years or so. While these were severe events causing the deaths of livestock and people and significant migration events, they would usually only last about one year.
0: Beginning in 2000, the droughts began to last longer, causing more hunger, suffering and death of people and livestock.
1: The current drought has lasted for five consecutive years. Almost all livestock has died and a few remaining goats are emaciated and are no longer producing any milk. Today on Eddie's Written Canada, our special guest is Steve Matthews, who is the Executive Director for ADRA Canada. Steve, welcome to Eddie's Written Canada.
2: Thank you so much for having me here today.
0: Steve, you just came back from Kenya. Turkana region. Yes. And uh, but before we go there, let's go to the bigger picture. We're facing one of the worst or probably the worst crisis, food crisis, hunger crisis that the world has ever seen. Tell mm-hmm. us about the statistics. Let's look at the big picture. What's happening in the world?
2: Yeah, the situation right now is very dire. Before COVID, we were seeing a, a steady decline in the number of people that were, were suffering with, with hunger. But what we're seeing now is a really uh, drastic increase in the number of people that are, are struggling from hunger. Um, about 828 million people as of the end of 2021 have been estimated to be basically going to bed hungry every night. And 345 million of those are at a point of being like severely food insecure. So that's, you know, you're, you're missing meals, right to the point of severe malnutrition. Uh, and we're seeing that continuing to increase. We, since the end of 2021, we believe that, you know, the numbers are definitely getting worse. For example, in Somalia, in August, there were about 300,000 people that were actually at the most extreme end of hunger, famine. And we were starting to see deaths occurring from, from just basically hunger. Right now, uh, they're anticipating that so we're just entering into December. And they anticipate that number is going to be about 2.3 million people in famine conditions this month. So that just kind of gives an idea of how bad things have been progressing um, over over time here.
0: So 800 million going to bed, that was the end of uh, end of uh, 2021. Yeah. And it's been steadily increasing. Mm-hmm. So we're talking end of 2022, things are close to a billion people are going to bed hungry every night.
2: Yeah, that's probably a, uh, yeah, that's probably a fair estimate of where things are going, but it's definitely, uh, definitely continuing to get worse as we as time goes by.
0: This is serious.
1: So, Steve, you just got back from one of the hardest hit regions, in Turkana County in Kenya. Mm-hmm. Tell us what were your what was your initial impression when you arrived there?
2: Yeah, well, you're it's <clears throat> it's almost like landing in a in a, in a desert there's you know there are pockets of green where really resilient plants are able to to continue but as we were driving like everything's just so dry we were standing in ri- riverbeds that had been dry for two years um, we at one point as I was traveling with my colleague uh, Frank uh, Spangler we were saying you know this would put you in the mind of the surface of Mars, you know just completely barren, dry rocks, um, just a, a really arid landscape.
0: So you're looking out over this landscape. How long has it been since it's rained?
2: So they've had little, small amounts of rain, but essentially any sizable amounts of rain has been about five years of, of continuous drought. So they normally get, um, they call it the big rains in April. And they get the small rains in uh, in December, like uh, November, December, they keep missing. So as they come along, when we saw the crisis happening, we started to respond you know, in emergency, saying, okay, well, when the rains come next season, they'll get out of the emergency. But we're continuing to get worse and worse and further into emergency as they lose their livestock, as uh, plants no longer grow. It's just a very, uh, very dire situation.
0: So five years, essentially, without rain. Mm-hmm. How, how are they making that? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, while I was there, I had
2: a look at, uh, they, they showed me what they eat. So essentially, I visited two different regions of Turkana. One showed me a, a wild fruit that they survive on. So the, the first location, they were, these small fruits, probably about this big that uh, they had collected they have to travel quite a distance to to collect these and um, not in safe conditions either so the conditions are are, you know there's still bandits in the area women are not safe going out for these long distances and they go and collect the fruit they bring it back but it's not edible in that state they they wouldn't even let me taste it they said it's they were preparing at the time they said it's so bitter that you can't eat it the way that it is. So what they have to do first is boil it down then they have to knock the outer shell off of it. Then they, they were actually rolling around in dirt to be able to get the outer shells off then they, they boil it again. But they said they have to boil it for 12 hours to get it to a point where it's edible to the point where the bitterness is gone so that they can consume it. But that's the only source of food they have. Their goats, the, the few goats they still have are so malnourished that they no longer produce you know they don't produce milk they used to use them for milk cheese those sorts of products they don't have that anymore because they're they're quite emaciated and they don't produce anymore so this wild fruit is the only source of food that they have there's so much work to collect it that essentially uh, they eat about once every three days is what was in in this one region that i was in while i was walking through one of the villages i actually saw um bones from dead animal carcasses that had, had not made it through. Um, we were driving along, we saw a goat on the side of the road and you could tell like it was, it was almost dead. We thought it was dead and then it just kind of moved its head a little bit. But these are the, the conditions in the area right now. Were you seeing hungry people as well? Um, everybody's hungry. There's, as we were going there, Like I, I would say there's no such thing in that area as a, a person that's not hungry. They were, um, you know, we met, uh, met individuals that, one, one gentleman that we, we met, um, he has, he actually has two wives, uh, which is not uncommon in, in that area, multiple wives is fairly common, but his, uh, you know, they had lost a child um, who died from, from hunger, uh, from malnutrition. Uh, his wife, his oldest wife, she's sick now and she's very concerned that she doesn't have the strength and stamina to survive the sickness that she's dealing with. Um, the whole community have lost children and elderly because of uh, because of the the hunger that's being suffered. You know, there was another lady that I met who was sharing about her husband. He had passed away about a year prior to us arriving, and it was. She said, that, you know, he picked up an infection that normally it wouldn't have been life threatening but because of the just severely compromised immune system, having no nourishment in his body, he succumbed to, to that. So now she's left to support her, uh, two of her children and, and grandchildren as well. So we just see, see so much of that in, in this region.
1: So Steve, how do the Takana people make a little bit of money in order to feed their families?
2: I would say the the people that we met they are they're industrious they're resilient you know they work with the limited resources that they have for example um, you know one lady that we met her name was Alice uh, I mentioned Alice uh, just recently about uh, that's the lady that took me to show the food she also makes uh, makes mats so she'll weave mats together and um, she can make about two mats per uh, per month and she can earn about a thousand shillings per mat. Now, a thousand shillings might sound a lot, but when you do the conversion, that's probably about 11 Canadian dollars. So She makes two of those a month, so she can make probably about 22 Canadian dollars per month, which is needed to be used to purchase foods, supplies for the family, um, education, tuition, because education isn't free. They normally have to have uniforms and and they have examination fees that they need to pay. So it doesn't go very far when uh, you need about $110 a month is the estimated amount to be able to eat properly in that area. So she works every day, and that's what it takes for her to, to be able to do that.
0: So Alice makes these mats, do people make anything else?
2: Yeah, there's uh, one of her neighbors that we, we visited uh, makes, uh, this is a Lokomar, her name is, and she makes baskets, so big baskets. I wanted to bring one back. I thought this would be an amazing laundry basket to to bring back, but we weren't able to to bring them back. We did actually buy a couple of them from them because you know for us going in, it's $10 for for one of these big baskets. So what we did was we bought them, we we left them for the the local office to to be able to use in, in, in the office. That's one of their big challenges is a market. You know, they don't have access to to a market so they're taking them to a market where because these are the only things that really are able to to earn a lot of income when they go to the market everybody else is selling them as well so the prices are low Um, actually I I brought uh, I did bring this is uh, a broom that uh, one of the ladies made so this one was gifted to me so everywhere we went they had gifts they wanted to to provide gifts to us because they're just so thankful for the help that Adra has provided them, so she she said, "I don't have much, but I want you to have this." So this was uh, so she makes these. these this is her uh, her broom that she uh... now. Renee, you mentioned to me that uh, you've used these before uh, back home as well. So
1: they sweep really well, yeah, Steve. They They're amazing.
2: Yeah, you were sharing with me. These are even better than uh, than the brooms that we get uh, that we get here. So they that was sure. Oh, yeah. So. But this is uh, what, she, what she does. She can make um, about 15 of these per day. Uh, the, the lady's name is Alugita. 72 years old. And she makes, she'll she make about 60 of these a week. And then she walks into the market to take them in. She's supporting her, her children and grandchildren with, uh, with this, uh, this process that she does. But for this lady at 72 years old, She takes a bundle of 60 of these on her head and walks five hours into the market to be able to sell them. And for a bundle of 60, she makes three Canadian dollars. So she does that um, four times a month where she's able to make essentially 12 Canadian dollars. And remember I mentioned recently that it takes about $110 to properly feed yourself, um, to be able to buy enough food to feed your family so this is uh, this is the challenge uh, so while I was there um, they got me to carry these bundles so I remember 60 of these and uh, so I was able to pick it up put it on my head by myself um,
0: were they impressed
2: they, they were actually impressed they, they they thought I wasn't going to be able to do it but I'm I'm younger and a little more well fed than they are so uh, you know, that was, I was able to do that. Ella Gita, she requires having someone help her put it up onto her head and walk five hours into, into the market. Um, she has to stop and rest along the way. While she rests, and she can't put it back up onto her head, so she needs to wait for somebody to come along and help her to get the bundle back onto her head. Um,
0: and she's 72 years old.
2: 72 years old, so walking that distance she said only, it takes her about two hours to come home, so that'll give you a level of how much effort it takes to walk that distance. You know, we asked about transportation, but if they were to take the bundles and put them on uh, a motor motorbike, that's most of the transportation there, all of her profits are gone. So she wouldn't actually
0: earn anything by doing, doing that. So we're not just talking about... Allegita taking the brooms, but we're also talking about Alice taking her mats. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about the baskets, yeah. uh, so everything that's being transported is really being transported by foot.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, because if they hire transportation, they lose their, their, um, their profits. But Alice, so Alice is not in the same village as uh, Allegita. As Alice has to walk at 25 kilometers with her mats on her head. To get to to the market, so it's uh, it's a two day journey for her to get in with her uh, with her mats. So normally, I ask her like, you know, where do you stay? And basically, as they're going along, because of the sense of community that they have, she can just wherever she is, someone will take her in and let her sleep there as well. So they're all kind of part of that same tribe and uh, able to to do that.
1: So, Steve, what is so sad for me is they are putting in so many hours of work Mm -hmm. and walking and then just getting a mere pittance, like just a little bit. So, like, what, what amount of food for how long can they do they do they get that income in order to buy food? Like how
0: long does that food last? And it's not just for her, right? It's not just for the individual, exactly. but it's it's for the family. so there there's people dependent on that.
2: so for for Aligheda, for example, when she comes home, she has four grandchildren that she needs to feed as well. So um, all girls and you know twelve, fourteen year old. so they're growing and she needs to bring back food for them. so, Typically, what they can earn in a week is enough food to cover them for probably a day or two. This is the part that our campaign is called Justice at the Table because I believe that's such an injustice that someone has to work that much, that amount of time, travel that distance, they work harder than we do, and to earn not even enough to be able to purchase enough food for a week. Like that's... That's, I find that's such an injustice. Yeah.
1: It is. I, I don't think we can even wrap our minds around that, Steve. Yeah. absolutely. You know?
2: It's something that if you don't go and see it, you ju- it just, you can't get your head wrapped around it. So I always have to remember that when I'm speaking to people about this, that they haven't experienced what I've seen. To go there and see it gives you a different perspective,
0: absolutely. Mm. So we're talking about a completely different world, in a sense, from what we live here in Canada. Absolutely, you know, yeah. my my decision is: do I get this pair of shoes or that pair of shoes? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. I'm not thinking about how much food I'm going to have because I have enough. They're they're living from basically one meal to the next, yeah. which may not come today. Absolutely,
1: mm-hmm. or the next day, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: or like three, four, five days without food. Yeah.
2: Some of the people we met uh, didn't remember the last time they ate, so that'll give you an indication of how bad things are.
1: So, Steve, how has Edra been helping the most vulnerable families, orphans, widows, young children?
2: There's a few different ways that we're helping. Uh, one is so one thing I was found very interesting when you go to Kenya. Uh, they have a system called M-Pesa, and it's, it's mobile money and we were able to transfer cash transfers directly to the uh, the project participants that we're, we're working with. But the part that I like is it's very secure. You don't have, you know, somebody just went to a cash distribution, now they're carrying cash with them, nobody knows when they've got the money, nobody knows that, uh, hey, this this person has it so it, it also is very good from a dignified perspective nobody knows that they've just been handed money as well so that's how we, we are working in one of the areas so then they can take that and they can go to the market and buy the food that they need um, what we've been providing is uh, typically a cash transfer that's enough to, to cover the gap so that they're able to get food for the month um, most of our projects areas though That money was there from January to June. Some of them we were able to extend a couple of additional months, but the money does run out, unfortunately. So we're right now, as part of our Justice at the Table campaign, we're really trying to raise funds to extend these projects. As the droughts aren't ending, these people can need us to continue working there. Uh, Another area, so that's one part. I always like the... The way we approach our projects, we don't want to just basically, the old proverb, give a man a fish. We don't want to just give a fish, we want to teach them how to fish. And one of the, uh, one of the areas I visited, it was a great little project where we helped people set up a, a farm. So we, we brought together a group in the community, and almost like a farming co-op was the kind of what comes to mind for me, but it was interesting to be in this very arid, dry area. Um, they're growing watermelons, they're growing um, fodder, you know, they're growing grass for their their goats so that they can harvest it and, and have fodder for the goats when uh, when it's really dry. We, they're growing um, tomatoes we're growing there, they're growing different uh, uh, different types of, of crops. They're able to produce enough that they're they're able to feed the community but they're also having extras that they can sell the cell uh, the excess so what they've done is they've they've located land next to a river that hasn't completely dried up yet um, and uh, you know right now there's enough water to sustain this uh, this garden uh, because it's the water is actually coming from outside of the the region so even though it's not raining there they're getting the rains that flow in from areas that that are still getting some rain but what they've done is they've dug canals they've transduced canals from the river into their garden and they were showing me how you know when when the water fills up they're able to to run the water down through the canal then they uh, they can block off different areas so they they literally just move the dirt to a different area which causes the water to back up into a different section of the garden to water what's needed at that given time very uh, very basic technology but uh life-changing you know and and that's one of the things we taught them how to do that and we provided them with the seeds To be able to uh, to grow that, so the beauty of this project is, while I was there, there were two groups that were set up that were both growing growing their farms right beside each other. So you know they're all working together. I got an opportunity to to discuss with them and see what uh, you know how that's gone for them. But there was another area they were they were actually clearing another area next to the farms, but that's not being done by ADRA. Now they've taken their future into their own hands and they're saying you know what we teach them is make sure you're putting some aside so that you can invest into expansion and growth so that's what they're doing now is they're they've cleared another acre of land that they're getting ready to trench and and build more canals Um, so they're uh, you know and now they can set aside some money so that once the produce is sold they can go buy more seeds to be able to to continue with, the, with their, their farm. So that's just one of the interventions that we see. The Sappers, there's so much need in the in the regions that we're working in. There was another community that we, we were in that had a small watering hole that we would love to be able to help in that area as well to really transform things. Because if we can teach people how to grow their own food, even though it's very dry, very arid, there are water sources that they can get to. Um, so this one, I actually asked the lady, um, you know, if we were able to help, would you be interested in growing your own food? And they said, absolutely, we'd love to be able to do that. So there are other areas that we don't currently have the resources to, to meet the needs for them. But I'm sure that, you know, if we were able to get these, uh, these additional resources, we can help change those communities as well.
0: So, so someone's listening to this right now. Um, how can they help? they're not going to get in a, in a plane and go over there mm-hmm. to Kenya and start farming with them and teaching them. What can they do?
2: Yeah. Right now, we're in a campaign to try to raise $2.4 million. Um, by raising that $2.4 million, it actually gives us access to a total project value of $15 million. This will be done in 13 different countries that we're working in. Uh, that's our Justice at the Table campaign. Uh, people can donate by going to our, our website, um, adder.ca. There's, uh, they can go in and, and donate to our, our Hunger campaign. Um, we're also asking our churches to, to jump on board and make a commitment to raise a certain amount of money in their local church. Any church group can go in, sign up as a church group, and make a commitment to, to raise X amount of funds and uh, you know really get a campaign going and invite your friends invite your family members to contribute to that as well so we've got a number of different resources that we're looking at for for ways to raise these funds as we uh, as we continue to try to to expand and grow the work that we're doing in this area of the world the needs are going to be there for for the long term while I was there um, you know the, speaking with our country director in Somalia the country director in Kenya they're saying that uh, you know, there's concern that this is going to continue for quite some time. Even if the rains came now, to reestablish those herds is going to take time. You know, they're, they're just not going to re-establish right away. So there's going to be a lot of investment. Even if the rains did come back, it, it's a multi-year recovery right now because of the conditions.
1: Steve, unfortunately, we've come to the end of our program, but I wonder if I could ask you to pray for those people in Takana and Somalia who are going to bed hungry at night. Mm -hmm. And also if you could pray for those that are viewing our program and that God will lead them Mm -hmm. to to give um, so that they can help these people.
2: Sure, it would be my pleasure. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we ponder on the the topic we've considered here today, as we think of those that are struggling to find out where their next meal is going to come from. I pray that you will bring relief to, to those who are struggling. I pray that you will provide sources of food. May you use us to, to reach out to those people, to provide the resources that are needed for, for providing that life-sustaining food to them. Maybe with our viewers today, as they consider how they may be able to play a part and to help in this very dire situation, may you move us to um, to br- use our resources to support the projects that uh, that are being done to help ease the suffering of those who are uh, much less fortunate than we are. In Jesus' name, I pray.
0: Amen. 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 Thank you very much, Steve, for sharing what you saw on the ground there in Africa Mm -hmm. of uh, the hunger crisis that people are facing right now. Yeah,
2: thanks very much for having me and just for giving the opportunity to share with our fellow Canadians uh, what, uh, what really is happening out there.
1: Before you go, we would like to invite you to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel, and also listen to our podcasts. And if you go to our website, you can see our latest programs.
0: You too can experience the fullness of life found in the words of Jesus when he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God.